We who are about to die salute you. Happy Monday, everybody. It's Chris and Chris, and we're talking Maury Tori for the mm-hmm. third week in a row. How about that? We, <laughs> we, 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 we made it without the uh, <laughs> the process kicking in, Chris. Yes, we have survived the process, and hopefully all of our friends in the uh, on the strike force themselves will be able to do it this week as well. We'll uh, have to just wait and see. <laughs> but uh, you can find this program most Mondays at uh, chrisandreggie.com, chrisandreggie.podbean.com, and all the places that they would like to keep noise. Uh, do you want to catch everybody up on uh, what we what we've already experienced in our uh, in our world of Marvel? What is it, 1287? Well, Chris, I thought you'd never ask. Here we go. Last time on Moratory Mondays, aliens have invaded Earth and are murdering people and stealing our resources. The Earth's Defense Strike Force Moritori. We met Harold Everson, who idolizes the original Moritori team and intends to give up his lucrative writing career to become <laughs> a Moritori warrior to put his life towards some real purpose. Despite the advice of his parents and even his Moritori commanders, Harold presses on. Along the way, he meets his teammates, and they are all about to undergo a life-altering process to give them superhuman powers beyond imagination. However, there is one small loophole. With the promise of fame and power comes the fact that in one year, the very thing that gives them this incredible power will kill them. Mm. Going through a harsh training session inside the devastating garden, the new Strikeforce Moratory were born, and we were introduced to Viking, Marathon, Snapdragon, unfortunately Adept, Radiant, <laughs> and Blackthorn. <laughs> oh, now, poor Adept. <laughs> Episode 3, Moratory Mondays. Absolutely. But first, uh, you know, last week we mentioned, you know, kind of uh, flippantly that we got some really good feedback on the first episode. But we believe in being completely honest. So we'll let you all behind the the curtain here and let you know that uh, we actually just recorded those first two episodes at the same time. So there was no specificity (laughs) in our tweets and uh, and feedback. But today we actually have real feedback. And uh, let's start the episode with a little bit of that feedback. Uh, from Chris Beckett on Twitter, he says, I really enjoyed the episode. This is definitely one of my favorite titles from the 80s. I love those first 20 issues. I need to note, Force is great, and Smarties beat M&Ms all day long. That's right. Every day of the week. If you missed... <laughs> If you missed the first episode, you understand that there was a discussion of Canadian candy. So mm-hmm. where the U.S. idolizes their M&Ms, us Canadians, we love the Smarties, folks. That's right. Very, very similar, but very delicious. And I love that Mr. Beckett also pointed out some new universe, which I'm a huge fan of. So calling out Cyforce. Thank you, Mr. Beckett. Absolutely. And I did find that they do carry Smarties at a candy store about 45 minutes away from me. So I might... Break my diet and take the drive one of these days. So <laughs> we'll see. Do it. Everybody's doing it, Chris. 
I know, I know. The pressure is uh, is mounting. Uh, <laughs> we've got feedback from Ruth and Darren Sutherland from the RAD Network of Podcasts. Their shows include Warlord World, Xenozoic Xenophiles, and Trekker Talk, and they said, marvelous. So that's a big thanks to uh, R&D. That's uh, really cool of them. We will, we will take that one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Our, our good pal Joe Crawford on Twitter said, great discussion. I'm looking forward to more. But then he also posed a very important question. He asked if one to grow on might have became the more you know. <laughs> I think he's on to something. I think he's on to something as well. You never know what happens when you listen to an episode of Moratory Mondays. <laughs> I think you always learn a valuable lesson by the end. Usually it's avoid <laughs> death, but you know. Yes, yes. Sidestep it as best you can. Uh, our buddy Jody on Twitter, uh, Jody Yarden, he said, and this is a question that I, this is actually an exclamation that I've said to you a time or two before. He says, a $20 allowance? Yep. My parents were out of their minds <laughs> and gave me a $20 allowance every week, which fueled, fueled my passionate <laughs> comic buying habit back then. Mm. Sadly, I still get a $20 allowance in 2019. <laughs> That's all my wife gives me. So there you go. doesn't stretch you, as far, honesty, guys. It's just letting you know. You <laughs> oh, yeah. You might be able to get two or three books for that price. <laughs> yeah, uh, good. Our buddy uh, Chris Barnes from Bat Books for Beginners and the Professor Frenzy Show said, great episode. And then he scared me. He said, I do remember Bad Ronald. And he sent a picture of Bad Ronald. Oh, boy. That's Actually, terrifying. I- Actually, Chris Sheen keeps people in the wall at all times. We're just letting you know. (laughs) (laughs) I live in the wall, folks. I'm just with a microphone. Quit scratching. Quit scratching. (laughs) Uh, Into the Weird Podcast, which is our friends Billy and Herman. They said, I love this series back in the day. Can't wait to give this show a listen. And uh, we hope you enjoyed it when you did. Uh, Another fellow, Sean Ross from the Squadron Supreme Podcast, said he's really excited for this. Our friend uh, uh, BTP from the Superblog Team-Up. Gave us a sort of a compliment. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what they, what they say there. He said that Chris was great, but Chris was lousy, and I will agree. <laughs> I, I will agree. Chris was Chris was lousy. <laughs> Chris was great, and Chris. Was, so we're sorry, and you're welcome. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, Chris can do better this week. I hope so. And the other one, just keep up the great work. Uh, now, uh, when it was cool, said awesome. Can't wait for this. And our pal Joe Cabrera, he actually sent us three parts of the Gumby and Pokey and Gumdinger land strips. This so, is like uh, breaking down our childhood, man. Like when, I know. when if you look at these three parts of Gumby and Pokey and Gumdinger land, I mean, they're so similar. It's so it's so easy to understand why we missed there. There was actually three parts of this thing. But anyway. it's at a glance, it's the same issue. <laughs> it's the same, the same strip. It's uh, oh, it's pretty boy. wild stuff here. I uh, well. I, I'll walk us into this. Uh, I'll walk us into the uh, credit sequence here for Strike Force Moritori number three. This had a February 1987 cover date. The story is called Paths of Glory. It was written by Peter B. Gillis, penciled by Brent Anderson, with inks by Scott Williams, letters by Janice Chang, colors by Max Scheel, edited by Carl Potts, and edited and chiefed in by Jim Shooter. This had a release date of January 31st, 1987. Where were you in 1987? I know what I was doing. Me too. Me too. I was in uh, second grade. <laughs> I was reading Strike Force Moritori with my $20 allowance. There it is. <laughs> That's right, people. Live in envy. <laughs> now, uh, we have a solicit. We're trying to include the solicits here just to see how much they uh, 
Marvel was willing to give, you know, and we've not got much. Here, not, not all that much. The solicit for issue three is the moment of truth for Strikeforce Moritori has arrived. The team's powers are at their peak. Now it's time to fight and defend Earth from the alien invaders. Is the Strike Force taking the road to an immediate death, or will the trail prove to be the path of glory? Yikes. If this is the path of glory, I don't know. I don't mm. know. Anyway, <laughs> issue three. Issue three, Red right of the Gate, and this one right away hit me in the heartstrings. Stan Lee presents Path mm-hmm. of Glory. Oh, I miss Stan Lee. Anyway. Mm. Uh, we begin with our main man, our main guy in the whole series, Mr. Harold Everson. You might know him as Viking. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, he's enjoying some private time. Now, I don't know if he's actually in the Strike Force Moratory compound or if he's actually in the woods, but we see him uh, basically enjoying some wooded mountainscape. And you see a family of bears. You know, we see some butterflies. Now, this is a pretty stark contrast to what we've seen so far, what, you know, what the world looks like, the torn landscape that's been ripped apart by the alien horde. So he's reflecting basically on how beautiful the scenery is. Uh, you know, we're in this new world of the alien invasion and basically the only thing you can do is survive. So, you know, it's a different thing. And when you see a beautiful mountain scenery, you got to take that thing in. Mm. And as we know from our first two issues, Harold is, jo- you know, Harold joined the Maury Tory program you know, it was part of his need to be different and take part of the, you know, instead of joining the the problem, he wants to be part of the solution. He wants to battle the alien horde. So, you know, he's doing something with his life. He's just not content being a uh, a writer for the local net, as we found out. Yes. You know, that yes, in, in issue one. So there was internet back in 1987, according to Strikeforce Murray Turi. <laughs> That's very progressive. Uh, <laughs> anyway, by, li- by enlisting in his life-changing experiment, you know, uh, to gain superpowers, he joined a team of heroes that were set up to combat the waves of destructive attackers. Now, these aliens, I mean, these guys are bent on, you know, destroying and pillaging the Earth. You know, they want their resources. And Harold, you know, he came to the program under some criticism and warnings from his parents. I mean, his, his parents basically told him, you are going to die. <laughs> they, they just <laughs> laid it out for him. Our son yep, is a dead man. We're sending our son. Yeah, our son is a dead man. That's what they said. Right. And not only that. The commander herself, Miss Beth Neon, also <laughs> gives a warning. Harold, why is it that you want to die? I mean, this guy had every opportunity to just turn around and get the heck out of the Strike Force Moratory compound, but no. He 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 went on. He's you know, he's he's game on. So anyway, Harold, as we know, he joined the program. Um he wants the best of both worlds. You know, he see we see him here sitting in his uh in his vehicle now. He's dictating his experiences. So Harold's a writer and he wants to dictate every part of his part of the process, I guess, into his brand new VivaCom 2 voice recorder. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you know, it's clearly high end technology for that time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Harold speaks aloud. He said, Earth's abide and we are fleeting passengers, whether three score and ten, Ooh, three score and ten. This guy's like very verbose. Yes, and in our is. case. We are one year in one year. We are soon gone. I, I can see why this guy gave up his writing career, Chris. I got to be honest with you. This he, he was going. He should nowhere. have went into beat poetry. What he should have done, right? <laughs> He's like welfare <laughs> Shakespeare or something. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, if you haven't been listening to the past uh, past two episodes, you know the downside of being a moratory superhero, obviously outside of the Ginji costumes, is that uh, you'll die in a year. 
you know, as great as these powers are and, you know, how great it is to be these brave souls to save the world, it's going to be the one thing that's going to kill them as well. So just imagine having a giant clock over your head, man, and mm-hmm. you're done in a year. <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, so Harold's, uh, what, what struck me about this whole thing, and uh, I'll digress into our first little tangent here. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm a huge podcast fan. Obviously, I'm speaking on one, so sure. you know that, that that goes that goes without saying. But uh, I remember back when I finally made the decision that I'm done listening to these little podcasts, and I listened to a few wrestling podcasts and tried to get into some some comic pad podcasts as well. And I was listening to them on my computer first, but I sure. wanted to get what everybody else had. I wanted an an iPod. And, mm-hmm. of course, back in the um, – I guess when were these things released? Like, er, um, What do you think? 2000s probably, it, early it, 2000s. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, now I wasn't super tech savvy back in the time. So, you know, I'm listening on my good old Pentium uh, Pentium 2 computer <laughs> with uh, with dial-up internet. And, of course, the, uh, you know, the results were, were sparingly, as we'll say. But I wanted one of these these iPods. Now, I had no idea what they were. I had no idea what they did. All I knew was I was going to go to the store this one day and I was going to pick one up. Okay. Boy, that didn't work out, Chris. <laughs> I go to Radio Shack. Now, that's a that's a name out of the past here in Canada anyway. So I go in and I, you know, I ask the guy and I'm very happy about it. Hey, do you guys, you got one of those iPods? And he's looking at me like I have 10 heads. Like he clearly is, he's almost mocking. He almost winks to the guy in the back room like, this guy looking for an iPod here. <laughs> what an idiot. And uh, so anyway, he goes on to show me the iPods. Or actually, he tells me that, uh, you know, I asked him what the price range was. He said, well, they're $500. I'm I'm like, what do you mean they're $500? (laughs) I know the exchange rate in Canada is a little off, but brother, that is a ridiculous price. So anyway, I go to uh, take a look at something that, you know, might be a little bit more suitable. And I end up with an iPod Nano Stick. Oh it was boy. the biggest <laughs> defeat in the world. I came in <laughs> looking for one of those things with the beautiful dial and you know you sure. could see what you could see what the music screen. you were playing on the yep. screen. Nope, I had a USB <laughs> stick with a play button. I was not pleased, brother. I guarantee you that. Now, I don't know if anyone has used the iPod Nano. Did you have one, Chris? Uh no, but uh, my wife had one of those. Uh and and she never listened to podcasts really, so she just listened to music, which I think that'd be fine for. But I couldn't imagine trying to manage a uh, like a, a p- playlist of podcasts on a nano. Now now here's the thing, yeah, of course. So if you've got any degree of you know uh, podcasts or even songs on this thing. There is no screen button, so you can't see physically what song you're starting at or finishing at. Yeah. So basically, you're going blind, okay? So you're, <laughs> you have to click through each and every individual song on oh, that man. damn iPod, and you don't even know. Like, say if you're listening to a podcast, like, you got to physically listen to a portion of the podcast to even figure out what episode you're on. Yeah, if you've oh. already listened to part of it or if you already listened to the whole thing and just didn't delete it. Oh, man, that sounds not too pleasant. Absolutely painful. Now, of course, 
as years went on, that thing finally broke. Thank God. I know it. <laughs> I didn't want to tell anybody because it ended up being a Christmas gift, and everybody was so happy to give me my first iPod. And I was like, it's a stick. It's not the iPod. But anyway, it ended up with a whole bunch of others. Now, I don't know what you had. I guess we'll get into that in a second. But I think the best one that we ever had was the Zune. That seemed to do everything I wanted. You could record on it. You could listen to iPod. You could actually see what music you were actually playing. So, you know, even though it was a complete and utter downgrade and, you know, sure. it didn't last long and it ended up like in a junk pile like six months down the, down the road, <laughs> it, it was a miracle just being able to see what you were listening to on screen. Now, I have and still in my possession, and I may one day just post this up on Twitter, a whole box full of dead MP3 players. And I mean oh, a whole great. box full of. Yeah, that's so great. What did you have back in the day? What was your listening habits of choice? You know, besides my, I, I have an iPhone right now. It's like a five or six year old iPhone, and that's the only MP3 player I've ever owned. Um, back in like 2010, I started, uh, I started one of my Mori Tori jobs. If you've heard me tell those stories, and uh, <laughs> and it was, I, I like to listen to uh, just like the radio, just you know, whatever. And uh, the thing of it was is that the building I was working in had um, very, very thick steel uh, roof. So it was like a a warehouse that was transitioned into office space. So it was like very industrial. And so if I carried a little radio with me, I couldn't get reception. Oh, no. Yeah. So I had the bright idea to head out to Best Buy and I bought an HD radio. Oh, HD audio form radio (laughs) where (laughs) and it's the silliest damn thing but like you could like you could like go between stations kind of where there are other stations hidden kind (laughs) of the dumbest thing in the world wouldn't that be high fidelity over high definition i don't know maybe maybe hd is sexier and trendier so you know with hd (laughs) but but I mean, I could have bought a uh, I could have bought an MP3 player for the same price that I bought this HD radio for, and uh, and I actually the day I left that job, I left it in the bottom drawer of my desk. I, I had to <laughs> I had to call a buddy, and I'm like, hey, can you bring my my stupid little radio out? <laughs> because I never I used it. it. It was just oh, so awful. Do you still but, have uh, it? I do. I do. I still. Oh have my it God! So Is it HD? Yeah. It's still HD. Yes, yes. I <laughs> but, love it. But, you know, that had a little screen on it, but I I also owned something that had a, a bigger screen on it and uh, didn't play any music. Uh-oh. It actually didn't do a whole hell of a lot of anything. It was a Palm Pilot. Oh, Have you my. ever owned a Palm Pilot? I have not, sir, but I've always <laughs> wondered in my mind of minds what having one would be. I always looked at the people that carried the Palm Pilot as, you know, I have uh, lots of cash to burn very, here. Very, very so important. Palm Pilot. Yes. That's right. Like, like, you know those things you get, like, when you're a kid, it's like a little gray, like a gray piece of plastic that you can, like, rub your nail on and write on it, and then you lift the piece of Absolutely. plastic off and the writing disagree- disappears? Yes. That's, that's what the screen of a Palm Pilot is like. <laughs> and, uh... To actually write on a Palm Pilot, they have their own language. So instead of like writing an A, like, you know, line, 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 there's an A, you had to write it like in Palm Pilot hieroglyphs where it would translate. (laughs) It would translate what you wrote, these like weird shapes and lines into an actual, you know, alphabet letter. And so anytime I wanted to write a note, 
instead of being like, okay, meeting at 1030, I had to decipher what an M was, what an E was. <laughs> it, it took it. It actually took like five minutes to write a sentence on this damn thing. <laughs> so how, how quick was it before you, you went back to the pen and paper? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I went right back to pen and paper. I mean, I, I, and I and this thing was not cheap. It was like three hundred dollars. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Those things were like high. They, they were super high class back in the day. Oh, man. It was the worst thing in the world because uh, I got I got a promotion at work. I was a uh, I was a department manager and uh, the other managers had them. Uh, and, you know, they were all like in their mid 40s, maybe I was 19 and I'm like, oh, I got to get one of these. So they so I look like one of these. Well, you were the bows walking in there with that uh, with that oh, Palm pilot. I was an idiot. <laughs> and uh, and I remember I bought it at a circuit city. And uh, when I bought it, they they's like they're like, oh, we can give you this card that has games on it. Ooh. And I'm like, oh, I could play games on this thing. No, no, there were there were no there were no games on this thing. It is. What, what did he give you? What was that? There was supposedly SimCity, which oh. uh, is like a you know where you build your own little city, and it was just shapes. Um, and then there was uh, <laughs> there was solitaire, but oh, it was just numbers and letters. It was just A K J Q, Q yeah. and, and you have was an like, add-on. Solitaire was an add-on. Yes. Oh, man, that tells you what technology that is when, when Solidaire oh, is an add-on. And I think for this little card with, like, the fake-ass SimCity and the fake-ass Solitaire, I think I paid, like, $30 for it. <laughs> it was, like, the dumbest thing in the world. But uh, but I, I finally got my first smartphone, um, actually, at another Mori Tori job. And uh, I upgraded from my flip phone in 2010. Ooh. And uh, I was so I, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world because I, the other managers I worked with, they all had Blackberries. You remember Blackberries? I do. Now, this was before Chris would became a cell phone guy. Now, I would never leave the house without my cell phone right now. It is my <laughs> right? is my connection to the universe <laughs> and, and our peeps and our peeps who I'm listening who are listening right now. I guarantee you. Chris Bailey does not leave the house without his cell phone. But when I saw someone with a BlackBerry, I was like, "Whoa, you are like super god." Okay, absolutely. <laughs> you're you're the you know the CEO if you have this thing. And listen, I, I used to walk around proud with my iPod Nano stick, so that should tell you <laughs> something. <laughs> you've got you've got your the whole keyboard. You've got uh, a little rollerball on there, oh, and you, you just cool. think you're the coolest thing in the world. And uh, it was cool and, back then. Well, this one wasn't very cool because I was able to get it really cheap because they were upgrading to like the full screen sort of thing, like like a like a common smartphone nowadays, like an Android or a uh, or an iPhone or something. But uh, these were like the last of that breed of with the full keyboard, the full physical keyboard. And I love uh, a physical keyboard. I don't know about our listeners, but I I, I kind of dig it. Now I don't have one right now. It's all manual on screen, of sure. course, but. I thought that was great, and especially that little trackball. <laughs> that is deadly. But it's it, yeah, it's neat tactile feeling. But uh, the fact that they were shifting away from that me- meant that nothing was compatible with it. <laughs> so, I remember, it's like all I wanted was a uh, like a notepad application so I could write down the list of comics I needed to look for. <laughs> yes, That's all I yes. wanted. That's the only reason I had a smartphone. Because it was cheap and be, the the BlackBerry was cheap because they were phasing it out. And because I wanted to have my list of what I needed on the go because I would just carry index cards with me from before that. You carried, and then, 
index cards with I you. I did, like an idiot. I was like the nerdiest <laughs> guy in the world, like walking into a into a half price books with my stack of index cards like a fool. But uh, <laughs> but I, I had that thing, and uh, it only lasted a few months because it was it was trashed because they kept upgrading the uh, the uh, what is it the the what, what the the firmware they kept upgrading yeah. the uh the like the operating oh, yeah. system yeah the operating system yeah and the blackberry was no my blackberry was no longer uh compatible with it so i could i could all i could do on it was make phone calls which i guess is kind it's of what you're supposed to do but just imagine using your phone to call people right what, <laughs> what it, it, i don't, I don't even know if mine even rings i don't know maybe <laughs> i should ask someone to call it one day and find right. out <laughs> So it's funny. It's funny you brought up BlackBerry hmm. because uh, I work with uh, Target in Canada. No jokes, please. And uh, I met a guy who I was working with, and he was a manager. Now he had just lost his job at BlackBerry, so okay. he worked. He worked in Toronto or wherever the wherever the uh, BlackBerry location in Canada was. And one of his stories that he told me was amazing. And I'll keep this really short. Um, he was at a conference one time, and Apple had just released the iPhone. Okay. Now, the conference was, you know, they were taking a little bit of a dip in margin and all that stuff. So they had this big rally conference and they were introducing their new BlackBerry. And I can't remember which one it was, but that's not important. But anyway, the guy who was on stage brought out the first iPhone and he waved it to the to the masses of all the BlackBerry clients and all the uh, all the people that worked at BlackBerry and he said this this is what they think will beat us BlackBerry and they all laughed and giggled <laughs> and openly scorned the iPhone and mocked it brother the only thing i can say is that indeed is one to grow on yes it is <laughs> oh boy lesson learned hashtag #hindsight <laughs> Anyway, I guess we should get back to the story here. So, sure. So we're back at Moratory headquarters now, and the recruits are actually taking in all the scenery. So we meet up with uh, Jaylene, Robert, and Aileen. That's some that's some crazy names, by the way. Mm-hmm. Now, they're up on top of Moratory headquarters up on this giant catwalk. So they're overlooking the common area of this beautiful science pr- complex that that is the Moratory headquarters. Uh, now... They're, they're loving their new accommodation, so they're having a little discussion on, you know, how much they love their rooms and how tricked out this place oh, is. Yeah. <laughs> now, Aileen, who we met in issue one, is the most advanced set of all the trainees. Now, she dares our newcomers to, uh, you know, I guess break out of their shell uh, and use their powers. So what she does, she leaps from the top of the catwalk, which is, which don't do this at home, kids, <laughs> to the floor below with ease. And then she waves on her friends, come on! You won't break. You got superpowers now. Besides, uh, you know, forget the stairs. Come on. So anyway, you know, Robert and Jaylene are way up on this catwalk. And they're looking down and, you know, they're looking at each other with reluctance. And <laughs> Aileen is down at the bottom. She's waving them on. Come on. Anyway, they both jump. So, you know, they're just getting to use and have some fun with their superpowers. Right. So anyway, they make the uh, they make the jump. Bottom line. Anyway, the tour continues. Aileen, who obviously knows the place, she's given them the, you know, the big walk through the building and they go to a place called, now I guess this is very technical, so bear with this. The Vid Studio, TV studio Vid folks, by the way. Studio. Okay, got it. Boy, that sounds Are you are you in? Are you you clued in on that? I, I feel like we're in the year 2000. This is, <laughs> this is the future people and we are living in it. And uh 
you know, and they tell, you know, they tell people what's going to be on TV and they have TV shows back there are called hollows. Imagine. Mm. Mm. Mm, very now, now, the three heroes, of course, they're interrupted with the missus who comes out of nowhere at all times. The elusive Beth Neon who comes <laughs> in and they squash their little excitement about being TV celebrities. Now, Aileen is really hung up on, you know, the whole process. So she wants to be she loves the celebrity portion of being with Strike Force. OK, she's into it. She wants the press conferences. She wants it all. Now, Beth comes in. She's a bit of a party pooper. So she tells them that, you know. The press conferences you have to do are about as boring as watching raisins dry. <laughs> uh, that's pretty boring, Chris. I think so. I yeah. Think so. <laughs> and as we recall from the first two issues, the entire moratory project is basically, you know, it's basically a social media campaign. So yeah. these guys are just basically the figureheads on the coin. They're like what the public sees, basically. So, I mean, you, you see propaganda all the time on the news. You know, someone's always the face of... You know, especially so take. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So when you get like a police report, you've always got that one cop who, you know, does the publicity for him. He's the you know, he's the one who's taking care of business. You had like, go, go, yeah, yeah. You go back. You had like Rudy Giuliani back in 9-11. I mean, he was the face of, sure. you know, New York and what was going to happen and how we we're going to change, you know, someone to hang on to. So basically it's an entire publicity stunt that's garnered towards TV ratings. Yep. <laughs> Now, we know how important TV ratings are in 2019. I mean, you know, it's everything when it comes to a rating is basically everything. So, sure. Anyway, Commander Neon tells them that they should put their focus on fighting the Horde rather than becoming hollow stars. Imagine. Video killed the hollow star, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, with their spirits dashed, uh, you know, the commander, uh, the commander leaves them again and they continue on just basically uh, touring the facility. Now, they do note that they have such amenities as a pool and an auto masseur. Imagine. Oh, boy. <laughs> yes. All the modern amenities such as that pool and an auto masseur. I don't know what you look for in a hotel, but uh, I don't know what an auto masseur does. I, I'm afraid to even Google that because I'm afraid I'll find it. <laughs> I know when I go to hotels, you know. Well, I mean, what's your what's your basic when you go to a hotel? Let's be honest. You got a bed, sure, a lamp, a light. Uh, yeah, if you're lucky. A, a, a Bible, maybe. maybe do they still have Bibles in hotels? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe they don't. Maybe they let the the good Lord take care of it. You got Wi-Fi last, now. Yeah, the last time I was in a, uh, the last time I stayed at a hotel, I don't think there was a Bible in the drawer because I, I always check just to check because it's, <laughs> it's just so so random that it'd be there. But, so, uh, so so did someone steal it or did oh, they just or were they uh, awesome. a hotel of heathens? Ah, that. <laughs> <laughs> it was my invitation to hell. <laughs> exactly. It and, was the uh, Twin Peaks Lodge, though. So, I mean, that, 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 there could be something sinister uh, below that. that so. Yeah. I tell, you, I tell you what, I travel quite frequently with my work, and certainly, you know, I see all kinds of different things. But the one thing that truly bothers me is when you have the TV under like their. They're complete control. So you've got like a set number of channels and sometimes mm-hmm. and Disney is the worst for it. Oh, my God. You've got to go through 10 Disney channels before you can actually get to like live TV. Oh, so wow. they've got like this these two infomercial channels of people enjoying the parks. Then they've sure. got their own Disney programming. And it's just all this stuff. Like I remember back in the day when you had regular TV, you turn it on. It worked. <laughs> then you had like those three porn channels at the end. And that's what you had. And you that's loved it. it. 
right? That was it. <laughs> and you just go and you sit on the bed in your 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 robe that you would probably steal later on. But anyway, it's, I, I digress. <laughs> if you could fit it in the bag. <laughs> <laughs> Take the light bulbs, batteries out of the remotes, people. Let's go. Hustle, hustle. <laughs> I, there are some hotels now that um, which is really cool that they actually will have like. They'll have like a sign in for Netflix or Hulu or something, you know, you'll go and you don't even have to worry about signing in. It's just there, you know, and you do that a few times and then you go to a place where they don't have it and you realize you're stuck with just TV. Oh, you, 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 you must be going to those expensive, like over $50 hotels. <laughs> you, 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 On the anniversary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you, you and your wife are the big spenders, brother. You've got to join the Bailey family in the $50 economy suite. <laughs> well, we, you know, we have our Blackberries and our Palm Pilots. and we, uh... <laughs> That's right. You save money there. That's why you can afford it. And now we have our auto masseurs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So anyway, our, our recruits continue their walk around the testing area. Now, in the past two issues, we see uh, Mr. Louis Arminetti. Now, he's mm-hmm. radiant, and he's being put through his paces again. It seems like this guy has been going through his paces ever since issue ever one. Since I don't we know. met him, yeah. Yes. This poor, poor Louis is going through, uh, or Lewis is going through a ton of experiments. And again, we see the creator, which is the uh, the beautifully named Doctor Tulima. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now he's very concerned that Louis or Lewis's powers are not fully controlled yet, and he contemplates building a prosthetic support to help him with his radiation pulses. So I guess he's a little bit, you know, crazy on the pulse on the pulse market. I guess causing some yeah. destruction or something. So he's got to contain that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the recruits tell the doctor that you know that he's invited to their housewarming party. So you know they want to they want to make everybody feel com- you know comfortable. But uh, this is where it gets a little bit uh, emotional here. The doctor nice. declines their invitation for a party. He says that he's heading back to New Haven. Now that's where we first met our our, our recruits early in the in the graveyard, basically <laughs> that we yes. discovered in issue one. Uh, to de- to begin developing their recru- their replacements. Mm. So he's going back to New Haven to basically groom a whole new team because yeah. these folks are not going to make it past the year. Yikes. Very, very grim. Very. Yeah. And I love that it came this early. It, and it's, you know what? The, when you, when you really look back at this book, the number of like reminders, I mean, these people can't enjoy their powers at all. It's always like, no, yeah, yeah. I love being a superhero. By the way, you're dead in the year. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> bro. <laughs> You gotta harsh the mellow that way. But yes, it, it happens. It's it's pretty wild, and because you know you know this, it's it's so obvious that something like this would have to happen. But to just be so up upfront with it and so early, it just it really it, it like it knocks you off your off your feet for a sec. It's like it's like wow, these guys are just getting fitted for their costumes, and it's already on to the next thing. Exactly. I mean, you know. There, there's a lot of comics that have tackled, you know, replacements, like different different things. Like we've seen replacements over the years in comics and TV and stuff. Sure. I mean, take a look at X-Men, for example. I mean, they basically dumped their entire original roster for a brand new X-Men with oh, Brian Claremont. size, yeah. Yes, which was genius. Sure. And it worked. I mean, honestly, when you think of X-Men today, 
a lot of those characters from Giant Size X Men number one are are the characters you recognize. Though They're those the are the X Men. The team, yeah, for sure. Exactly. Now that doesn't quite be the same way with uh, with Strike Force by the end of this book, but uh, <laughs> I digress. And of course, TV. When you talk about replacements, I would be remiss not to talk about the Dukes of Hazard. Now, <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> Dukes of Hazard was one of the top t- shows on TV. I mean, this thing was dragging, you know, bringing in ratings left and right. And of course, the two main characters, Bo and Luke, you know, they were they were hot celebrities. Mm-hmm. However, the TV company didn't want to pay them, but you know what they felt they were owed. Sure. So, so they felt that they were disp- you know, dispensable. So they basically let those guys go and replaced them with two exact clones, which they called Crazy. their cousins. So Bo and Luke were were replaced with Vance and Coy. Now, <laughs> if you want to Google Vance and Coy Dukes of Hazard, you will see exactly what I mean. But guess what? A lot of times replacement don't work out. So guys, don't be a Vance and Coy. Is all I'll tell you. There you go. If you're at work, if you're at work and you see your clone walking in the door, someone who looks exactly like Chris Sheehan, brother, it's time to go. Someone's replacing you. <laughs> Yeah, don't maybe maybe not go out for the for the coffee that day. Just uh, start saving the money, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> exactly right. But you know, back to the X Men. I mean, there was that, that really weird thing when X Force was uh, replaced with a whole different team, the X Statics. Uh, that that was a, I thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, X Factor uh, after uh, you know in 1991 they they pushed out the original five in a, from another book and replace them with a whole new bunch of guys it's it's just uh i think that's pretty interesting stuff just uh the the concept of doing that and uh being able to stick the landing when you do that it's just it's very fascinating but none of them especially when you're taking a property that people love so much and you basically completely displace it you you remove every aspect of it and start from scratch absolutely that's just yeah it's it's very uh brave but at the same time it's a little bit a uh, little bit of you know kicking dirt in the face of uh, the people who followed you but uh, absolutely to go back to what you you were talking about before you know have you ever been in a situation where i don't know like maybe you were leaving a position or maybe you were getting promoted and you had to train the person who was uh, replacing you oh boy did i ever so i'll tell you a little story so <laughs> So as uh, as folks would know, it doesn't take a great lot of research to know that uh, that Target Canada went under very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so I I left a really good job at a uh, another large retailer, and you know I was there for several years, and I jumped on Team Target, and you know really enjoyed the couple of years that I had there. But of course, like everything, that place closed up, and I was looking for a job. So I ended up being interviewed by uh, a certain pet store. And they were looking for a store manager. So I thought, oh, okay, you know, this is very convenient. And they were paying really well for a small store. And, you know, I, I was actually getting paid more to work at this pet store than I was ever making before in my life. So I thought I hit the jackpot. Now, there were a few things left out of the little uh, deal summary. So when he told me that I would be reporting to the store on what day, they also said that, you know, you will be trained by, now get this, the former store manager will be your assistant. <laughs> he oh. will be training you. So the guy who I was replacing was oh. now going to be the guy who was training me. That's awkward. 
That was the most awkward, <laughs> painful thing I had. You know, I was sweating. I was not sleeping properly days leading into it, going like, hey, you know, how is this going to work? I, you know, I was going through the motion saying, you know, how am I going to introduce myself? How is this going to work? You know, I'm just thinking, is this guy going to sabotage me? Is he going to do, you know, whatever? But guess what? This guy was cool as a cucumber. He he greeted me. He showed me the ropes. He was my right hand man. And I'm telling you what, I uh, I'll call him out, Jeremy, my friend. If you're if you're listening to this for some reason, (laughs) and I don't know why, because you don't like comics, but uh, (laughs) thank you thank you for that, sir, because uh, that is a class act. And I don't know if I was in your position that I'd be able to act as professional. So sometimes you get cool people and cool people who work really hard. And uh, I got lucky on that one, Chris. Absolutely. Because I don't know how I would react in that sort of a situation, you know, if I knew that someone was replaced, unless, unless, you know, I gave my notice or something. But if I had that sneaking suspicion, it's like, oh, here, show, show this guy what you do. It's like, I don't know about that. Yikes. Yeah, if if you're if you're getting a job, chances are if you're getting a manager job, chances are you are replacing somebody. So a word of advice, probably make sure that those folks are gone before you start or at least find out if they're still there. Yeah, don't set up at their desk. (laughs) They won't won't appreciate that. Oh, no good. Anyway. (laughs) All right. Back to the book. So anyway. We're still in our facility, and elsewhere in the facility, we find our main character, good old writer Harold. Now, he's yeah. standing with the, uh, I think, his his love interest, or at least his flirt, uh, Lorna. And they're in the sure. monitoring center of the moratory complex. And, of course, when it comes to this book, there's never a bit of downtime. So, of course, the horde alarm system goes off. Everything is flashing. The, the alarm sirens go off, and they find out that there's going to be an alien touchdown, an invasion of Paris. Of course, Harold jumps and he alerts the rest of the team and they, he calls for a scramble. So as you know, in issue one, you know, there was a horde invasion. Um, you know, the team rallies and, of course, Beth Neon shuts him down and said, you know, locks him basically in a uh, yeah, in an underground yeah. bunker and tells him, you, you guys are staying here. You know, you're not ready, basically. But guess what happens here? Beth Neon steps in and stops him again. Now, this time, Harold loses his ever-loving mind. He's furious, and he confronts the commander, and he demands to know why he's being held back. He calls her decision. Now, folks, if you're listening and you have any sensitive children, I want you to plug their ears right now. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say the word, Chris. I'm going to say oh, it. We gotta, he we calls her decision. We're going to have to put this as explicit. Yeah, put the rating. He calls her decision backwash. Ooh. I know. I'm, I apologize to all our listeners right now. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> boy, give it to her, Harold. That's the way, brother. Uh, Commander Neon, of course, she stands her ground and she tells him quite firmly. And I like this about her. And by the way, Commander Neon, a.k.a. Early Rogue, that's exactly what she looks like. So yes. if you're listening to audio, picture Early Rogue. She's a lady with shorter hair with like gray streaks on the side, all commanderish. So that's what she looks like. And she tells them that, you know, we would never have gotten there in time. So that's her, you know, it's in Paris. You wouldn't have made it. Stuff would have already happened. And she Very scolds Harold yes. for his defiance. Yeah. And she tells him to, you know, <laughs> he tells him that he takes give, he takes to giving orders like a pig takes to dirt. <laughs> I, doesn't a pig like dirt? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. so. What, does that line make sense to you? I'm, <laughs> Not really. Yeah. So, Harold, you take orders. 
like a pig takes the dirt. So you like taking orders? I don't know. Anyway, moving forward. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Harold is very upset as they're dismissed. Anyway, so Harold calms down and he goes back to his room. And uh, he's back in his room and he's got his wonderful Vivcom 2 device. And he's telling this giant, elaborate, inflated tale, you know, of his conversation with the commander earlier. Of course, he's like super embellishing. I don't know. Maybe he's writing moratory the movie. I don't know. But this guy's like adding layers. You know how a story, when you pass it along, like gets some extra People stuff like telephone, built on. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think Harold is like layering his story here for the for <laughs> for his potential listeners. So he claims to have snapped at any moment and claims he could have broken her arm with just his thumb and forefinger. Woohoo! <laughs> Good for you, Harold. Uh, but he didn't want to be like a fireman in a ultra firehouse playing <laughs> an ultra firehouse playing checkers. So he didn't want to just be the fireman who's held back and, you know, forced to stay in the station. And you go play checkers while everybody else takes care of business. That's not what Harold wants to do. Anyway, Harold is interrupted by Aileen. Of course, he's he's always interrupted. This guy cannot spend two seconds in his room without someone peering in through his door or coming in. But she has some pretty bad news. And this this is where these books take like really sharp turns. I mean, we get the, we get into the gore of, and the reality of the alien invasion. So she tells Harold the news of the Horde raid in Paris. She tells him that the aliens attacked a theme park and decapitated everybody that was there, women, children, and men. Yeah, she they took heads, yeah. They they put their live heads, still alive now, in portable freezers. And she ponders aloud, you know, when are they finally going to let us fight back? I mean, I don't know what you thought of that, Chris, but that that, that struck me really hard. That that's just crazy. Yeah, that is uh, that's hardcore for sure. That is hardcore, man. Like uh, when when you think about it, like you can you can always rationalize, you know, when there's an invasion or a war that you know soldiers will kill each other. But when you're talking about attacks on the public, I mean, that's where. And when you're killing children, that that's a line crosser to me, man. I don't know. Yeah, you're you're going somewhere where you're only gonna be with families and kids. You know that yeah. that's that's a calculated attack, and then. And then not even just to kill them, but to take their heads, their living heads. That's the, yeah, these, and they, the, the horde does not mess around. No, this is this is a uh, probably one of the nastiest set of aliens that I've ever seen. I mean, we grew In up fiction, with aliens. Sure, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think about some of the pedestrian aliens we get. I mean, you had the um, invasion, DC invasion. Yeah, the dominators. Yeah. Yeah, the dominators. Now they they, they were definitely not severing heads and all that stuff. You know, they were attacking the world and all that kind of thing and fighting the heroes. But, I mean, you know, no, no real real threat to the public. I mean, we've seen Not as visceral as this. Yeah. yeah, not as visceral. Exactly right. But anyway, um, they go to um, – they go to the horde ship where they see the uh, the horrible ramifications of the Paris attacks. The horde has, you know, one of the decapitated heads in a containment bubble. So we're now inside the horde ship. We're seeing the commanders and all the all the different uh, horde warriors, and they're doing tests on someone and they're keeping the human heads alive somehow. So I don't know. We meet the alien inquirer and the counselor, and they're they're in a bit of an argument, you know, over the resources and what's literally left to plunder. They know. They come to the realization, though, they know that their numbers are small, so they're aware that humans could still get a, you know, a heads up on them. So the inquirer tells the counselor that maybe it would probably be a little bit better 
for the living heads to die in battle than their own army. So they're actually going to put these live heads to use, and we'll see in yeah. which way a little bit later on. They don't want to waste their own folks. They're going to utilize these human heads in a certain way that we'll find mm. out. And that is one of the grimmest scenes you're ever going to see in comics, folks. Trust me on that. It's true. Now, Harold and Robert, they decide, you know, if we're going to be, uh, you know, holed up in Moratory headquarters, we're going to take a break. So these guys are up in the mountains. I guess, you know, they're done working out for the day in their green underwear. <laughs> so we're going to head to the mountains for a relaxing day together. And we begin to learn Robert's backstory. Yeah. So it's the first time we really get to, you know, dig into the backstory of anyone outside of Harold. Now, we learned a little bit about Aileen in the last one where she, you know, she joined the moratory because she wanted to, you know, basically be popular and increase her bus size. It's true. Now, with Harold, he's got a little bit of a different story. So basically his whole deal is that, you know, he... I don't know really how to say this. So he's got a dad and his father was a, you know, a brilliant scientist and, and, you know, he never really stacked up to his father. So, so I guess he's, he's doing the moratory process to put himself in a place where he feels that he's going to make a difference and prove to his father that he's worth something. That he's worth something. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, uh, you know, these, these guys, these guys are, you know, emotionally tortured, I'll say <laughs> basically. It's like, you but almost anyway. have to be though. It's like you, to, to sign on to this project, you almost have to have this kind of damage and this kind of baggage. So for Robert to, he's doing this to show up his father. I mean, that's just, it's so relatable. But to the to the nth degree, you know, it's crazy. Exactly. He says he, you know, he felt that he let, he was a letdown to his friends and family, and he was, as he described himself, mousy. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> but poor Harold. I mean, he's got a crisis of conscience. He doesn't feel that, you know, his leadership. He's able to really flex his muscles as a leader. He's questioned his own leadership. But Robert really goes to bat for him and says that, you know, he trusts him as a leader and feels that. Uh, you know, he's someone that that he would trust going into battle and to back up. So, you know, that's yeah. a bit of a, a vote of confidence for good old Harold. Sure. Now, of course, it's starting to get a little bit dark. So the boys clear out of the mountains and they're back to headquarters. Now, it's zero hour. It is 823 a.m. and all hell breaks loose in the moratory headquarters. And get this. Finally, finally, <laughs> after long last. Commander Neon sounds the alarm and calls the moratory into active duty. <laughs> and she screams and she's making a point with the, with uh, with Harold because yeah. her first words are all right, Her Everson, you want to fight? You've got one. Now scramble. Now Harold, he was sound asleep after his long trip with the mountains. So he sits straight up in his bed, you know, he's jarred awake from this uh, from the sirens and all that stuff. Now we, in an interesting uh, bit of artwork, we see that uh, that Harold enjoys his slumber in the nude. He does. We we get some uh, we get some butt crack going on there. So <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but I'm the type of guy who uh, and 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 really should wear clothes at all times, including in bed. <laughs> <laughs> well, should and do are two different things. <laughs> exactly right. I, I am a, I'm a fully clothed guy, whether whether it's in public, at the pool, wherever it may be. This dude has clothes on, but uh, Harold, I think, in, enjoys uh, enjoys the freedom in the framework. We'll say. 
Well, when, when you're living in Arizona, you, you might make choices a little differently. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, folks. Secrets revealed of Chris Sheehan. Are you, are, you, are you picturing the hot Arizona sun now? Yes. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, what's cool about this entire scene is that we finally get to see all the moratory in costume yes. and rushing into duty. So the one thing I find interesting, though, this is the first time they break into battle and they limit it to a one little tiny middle panel of a page. It's great because this is the cover. The, the, this issue, issue three, is the cover that actually made you want to read this because Absolutely. of that sort of a scene. It was the it was the team running towards the reader in in you know just a crowd scene, and uh, and yeah, to see it marginalized into just a tiny little panel is a bit weird, especially yes. when it is the cover image. It's like one of three panels in the on the entire page, and it just yeah. seems lost in the shuffle. It seems like a weird. No, I'm going to ask somebody about that one day. It seems it just seems odd. It seems like yeah. if there was ever a need for a splash page, that was it. That was it for sure, or at it, least a half page, something. Yes. Yeah. It, in in 2019, that would be the cover, the middle uh, center fold, <laughs> and another fold out page, and probably three variant covers to cover that one <laughs> one panel right there. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but you know, it it is a little bit understated. But anyway, we find out that this time their destination is not Paris, but Kramatorsk. Is that how I pronounce it? Kramatorsk? I don't know. I'm not so... But anyway, it's in the Soviet Union now. The Soviet Union still exists here, folks. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the recruits literally, and when I say literally, leap into their launch ship. (laughs) Now, this is page 11 (laughs) if you're following along. So, as they're they're running into uh, into the loading bay... There's like this rampway and they like this long aisle where they have to go uh, to get to the ship. These guys are literally leaping from the, <laughs> from the entrance bay onto yep. the rampway of the ship and completely bypassing all the uh, the entire walkway. It's uh, it's quite hilarious. They're like I don't know. They're like ballet dancers or Cirque du Soleil dancers or something. It looks very choreographed. Yeah. It's, yes, it's, it's like neat. oh, we're going to leap into a ship here. <laughs> get ready for those hordes. But anyway, the heroes strap in and Harold calls for launch and Strike Force Moratory is propelled into their first real mission. Now, artist Brent Anderson, I, and I love how he showcases this. So he shows a scene of each of the Moratory and they're strapped into their, um, you know, their chairs. And um, he's showing the effects of G-Force. So oh, yeah. as each panel moves on. You know, their jaws become slacker. Their eyes are watering. Skin is stretched back. Yep. It is awesome. It, it really good job oh, there, Brent. I got to say, it's cool. Now, Harold, the whole trip, he can't enjoy anything. This guy is plagued. So he's like, he's questioning his whole leadership the entire way. You know, he's he's like, am I good enough? You know, I really, you know, am I good enough to lead? But one thing happens to Harold that's pretty unique along the way. He has a little bit of a... Um, a scare. He so does. he thinks, yeah. So now, as we know from Harold, Harold is an avid comic book collector. He has exactly one comic, as we he know does. from issue one. It's a great and it's one the, too. Yes. So, as we know from issue one, there was a set of characters who were the original Moratory Strike Force, and they were called the Black Watch. Now, the Black Watch died a horrific death when, or not in the comic book, of course. But in, in the reality, vid, the hollow vid in, in the hollow vid, they died a very bad death where they actually incinerated themselves. They burned to death. Their powers killed them. So Harold starts to have energy 
coming from his hands in a similar effect to the Black Watch. So he's starting to panic, but he's not trying to show everybody else. He's trying to maintain his leadership, but he's really panicking. He's sweating. He's worried. He thinks this is it for him. Yeah. I mean, this is crazy. And, uh, you know, he thinks that the moratorium is about to take effect and, you know, basically end his life. Now, you know, even before their first mission is off the ground, by the way. So mm-hmm. for sure. Crazy. And just the, the idea of that being a being a possibility. That before he even sees action, he could succumb to this process. It's just yeah, another I mean, another layer of just the finality of uh, of undergoing the process. It's it's amazingly done. And he could have been, you know, home sitting on the local net, <laughs> <laughs> doing his doing his blog, Herald Reading. on Infinite Earths. <laughs> <laughs> He's covering Action Comics Weekly. I I know this. I know what Harold could have been doing. <laughs> or it's uh, what is it? Black Watch Weekly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he reviews the one single Issue episode one panel one. by panel every day for the rest of his life. That's right. <laughs> What's funny about this is like uh you know, they're going to Russia. So this really speaks to the time frame as well. I mean oh, I yes. grew I grew up, you know, I, I'm in I'm in like early high school now when this is coming out. And uh, you know, the Cold War thing, man, that that's a real deal. I mean that oh, yeah. that is that is a reality. I mean, we people who lived in 87, you know, 87, 89 and all that stuff, we knew that, you know, just past Reagan, you know, the Reagan feud with uh, Gorbachev and all this stuff and the fear of nuclear war was always, you know, was, was always, always it yeah. was, man. And it, it was scary to a kid who didn't know any different and, you know, understand the politics. This just wasn't Donald Trump sending out a tweet over North Korea. I mean, this this was real tension. People were yeah. physically scared about this stuff, right? And I mean, oh, this yeah, trans- drills and stuff where you know you yes. go under the oh man, it's it was yeah, it was uh, it was a part of life. And everything pop culture was infected with it. I mean, Big time. I'm I'm a huge wrestling fan, so I mean, Certainly. we had you know the foreign heels. We had Nikolai Volkov, who was the Russian Boris bad Zukov guy. Zukov and yes, Kolov. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. well, they, those Every, were cool Russians. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, every every uh, federation had had their Russian heels. It's a uh, yes, crazy. Yeah, and, and also also heels elsewhere too, didn't they? <laughs> yes, exactly. We had uh, we had Russians in movies. I mean, you had movies that I loved as a kid, like Red Dawn with Patrick Swayze and Charlie Sheen. I don't know if you've seen that, Chris, but that is epic. Just just sit around and watch any of the Turner channels. Red Dawn will play eventually throughout the day, I'm sure. And, of course, Rocky IV, you had Ivan Drago. I mean, the media was basically fear-mongering the entire Cold War for us anyway. So, you know, we really never had a chance as kids other than the fear fear of Russian. Absolutely. And uh, there was they were definitely the boogeyman for us. It was uh, like even like sitcoms would have like episodes. I remember an episode of the Golden Girls where they had to like – where. Uh, Rose was running like a Girl Scout troop, and they had to write letters to Gorbachev so it's like, to oh try God. to to try to like make him not aim missiles at us. Or something. It's just crazy when you think about it. Yeah. I mean, just just the futility. I mean, well, why would you do that if you're trying it's to make true. like we live we live in a you know a world that's connected with social media, so a lot of this stuff is exposed nowadays. Thank oh, goodness. Yeah. There's no way because even like you look at the UK and they had like a, what was it? Oh man, the 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 videos that they that they would release in case of a nuclear attack. It was uh, oh, boy. They were like these really shoddy animations 
oh man what were they called they weren't duck and cover um man i can't remember the name of it i'm gonna kick myself for this but they they actually they were actually like geared towards children and families where it would be like a sort of like a paper art claymationy sort of a situation where it would tell you how to stack doors on like on the side of a wall so you can hide under them. What? what? Oh yeah, I, I I can actually I can actually send you these uh, on YouTube. We can actually put them in the show notes too. Absolutely. Um, it was uh they they actually had. Little, they were like these little, like two or three minute interstitials that would come on during commercials, or were supposed to come on during commercials. I don't know that they ever did, but uh, like there were ones that would tell you how to how to wrap up your dead. And I mean, these were aimed at like families and children. It's it's insanely dark stuff, and uh, but it just speaks to the tone in the air and the fear, and uh, just the the amount of. the amount of infiltration of this fear into your our everyday lives. So to have the the, the strike force here go into the Soviet <laughs> Union, it does stir up a lot of uh, it does conjure up a lot of uh, a lot of visuals and emotions. It's, it's interesting stuff. It is, but the strike force they arrive right in the heart of Russia, and I mean these guys they explode out of the ships. Now they they land in some weird like almost helicopter like landing pods. So they've got like individual little you know, uh, flying little pods that they land and they drop right in the middle of Hordesville, Russia. And brother, the fight is on. This mm-hmm. time, instead of like a battlefield filled of horde invaders, though, they're actually met with these pretty generic looking robots. It looks like something out of like Magnus Robot Fighter, you know, the ones that Magnus would destroy with just a <laughs> yes. karate chop. That's what it looks like. Except when they get there, do you notice that these things are emitting like this? really really horrific like mind-boggling noise almost like a scream sort of yeah. thing and you know the the moratoria are easily dispatching these robots i mean it's 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 similar to like you know obi-wan and koigan just ripping through battle droids at the beginning of phantom menace that's what it that's what it literally looked like to me and uh you know they're easily dispatching them but then lorna as she's lifting one over her head discovers the horrible secret of what these things actually are so inside the dome of one of the heads is actually a beheaded head of, I think it was a kid, wasn't it? child, yeah. Yeah, it was a child's head that's still alive. And these things are, the, all the, all the entire robot army are beheaded women, men, and children. And, of course, the moratoria are just completely besides themselves. I mean, uh, Lorna's lifting up the head of a, you know, severed head of a little girl. Yeah. And she tosses it aside, I mean, in complete horror. And, uh, you know, and you know how these these things are actually kept alive. They're actually torturing them to stay alive. They've got an apparatus inside them that stimulates pain in the severed heads, and it forces them to attack the moratory mindlessly. I mean, that is about as grim as you can get. That is cruel. Yeah, big time. Big time. Now, our, our boy Harold, uh, Viking, He's still having some real, real problems with uh, with his powers. So he still thinks he's going to die. So he's crippled in pain. He thinks the moratory process is coming for him right then and there. And he just falls to his hands and knees. He's he's just ready to give up. He's yeah. right in the middle of the uh, the battlefield. Now, the good old horde troopers, they're watching from the sidelines, and they see Viking go down on his hands and knees. And, of course, they're like, all right, this guy's down. We're going to pick our spot here now, and we're going to swarm his ass and kill him. <laughs> and uh, Well, anyway, they, they tried to crowd him, and, I mean, Harold's in some real danger here. However, 
Moratory are on the game, and we see a, like a real wicked plasma blast combo from Lewis and Lorna. So they get together and they, you know, they do a double attack and they free Harold from the swarm. Now Harold gets his swagger on. Big Robert comes in and he's playing cleanup on the horde, and Harold, uh, all of a sudden, his powers kick in. Yeah, which is uh, which is crazy. So as everybody is fighting the horde, um, you know, his powers just kick in so he gets a sudden you know telepathy and he understands that uh Jaylene is in trouble so he actually comes he sees that she's in grave danger so while robert is playing clean up with the horde army harold rushes to his partner's side so he frees Jaylene from you know the grasp of the mindless robot drones that are trying to kill everybody and he actually gets her to use her useless analyzing powers, which are not so useless after all. <laughs> they aren't. <laughs> no, no. So she actually finds out that, you know, the reason why these things work the way they work and what makes them tick, which gives them the heads up. So, you know, they, they know exactly what to do. So they know that the person controlling these robots are the commander. He's the one holding this little whip machine. It's like a little, you know, the classic detonation device with the button in the middle, <laughs> basically. <laughs> basically, yep. So he, uh, Harold calls on Robert to clear a path to the commander. Now, the poor commander's at the end of the battlefield, and Robert is just tossing trash left and right. And Marathon rushes, you know, he rushes right to the commander, and he goes face-to-face with him. He even gives him, he even gives him the big Hulk Hogan you finger. You, brother. <laughs> <He does. laughs> yep. And, I mean, Harold looks possessed. I mean, he, he knows that he's not dying now. He knows that his powers are at full strength. And uh, he dodges the commander. The commander tries to give him this beautiful left hook, but he just presses this guy overhead. Um, now, the commander's holding the detonation device. But with uh, – now, Harold's, Harold's girlfriend, Lorna, she's got another thing. So she blasts the device free from his hand. And Viking uses some beautiful tag team work reminiscent of the Rock and Roll Express. So he, <laughs> he pitches the commander way, 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 way past – you know, way down the battlefield. And Marathon, Big Robert, is just waiting for him. And he hits the commander so hard – that this guy flings way to the other side of the uh, the battlefield again, and inside the alien ship, uh, you know, as the on as the horrified foot soldiers look on, and they, you know, as soon as they see that, they retreat the heck out of that place. They're they, done. They are gone. Yep. Now they, you know, to end the issue, they discover that the detonator device was actually set to blow up the captured heads of the enslaved beheaded victims. Yikes. Anyway, the team switches off the robots by squashing the detonator. Now, I really don't know how that works. Just think about this for a second. So do you think like the, your TV, if you crush the TV remote, do you think it would just <laughs> turn the TV off? That's some weird thinking if you ask me. I don't know. So if you crush the garage door opener, does it open or does it close? <laughs> exactly. But anyway, guess what? It works. It does. So, yeah. And, you know, you got you to gotta thank Harold for his weird problem solving. But anyway, at the <laughs> end of the issue, the moratory are standing tall and they're celebrating their victory. And that is how the issue wraps up. Indeed. And uh, that video from the UK, the nuclear video, those are called yep. Protect and Survive. So that's uh, oh, that's what those boy. were called. So they're easy to find online, but we'll include the link in the uh, show notes also. Yikes. But uh, yeah, you know, well, well this was uh, the, the, the Moritori. They have their first battle. Right. First to real battle, I suppose, because uh, they had that one in the first one trying to trying to protect the chocolate factory but here's a here's their first outing uh first official outing and they're victorious 
They yep. are they're able to pull together as a team. They're able to work beautiful tandem offense as if they'd been training forever. And well, uh, well technically they may have been. <laughs> <laughs> That's, true. That's all they could do in their green underwear, working out and training. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> but they drove the horde running away with their tails between their legs so that that's uh definitely something yep so the horde's plan of just you know using the uh their own humans against them failed miserably on this round anyway mm-hmm. and it also so it, it also yeah. showed the horde that they're there that the earth is fighting back which exactly. could be a good thing it could be a bad thing <laughs> exactly so well that was that issue you know i I don't know what your final thoughts are on it. I thought it was a really, really good issue. Great to see the Moratory finally in action in their full costumes. Mm-hmm. You got to see the Horde at their absolute nastiest worst. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, just to see them get an advantage and actually, you know, do some good was was really good. And right here, this was the first – this was my first issue that I actually uh, – cut on the strike force moratory uh because it was just because of the cover you know yep. seeing the team in action on the cover was the thing that spawned me to read the first two issues and read this one and man i was hooked like a fat kid on smarties <laughs> <laughs> and there's so many layers to this issue in and of itself here we have uh the constant reminders that you know the death is looming we have uh tulima going to train replacements we have uh we have Neon reminding them. It's like, hey, you know, you're going to burn out. We have Harold actually almost thinking he's displaying uh, the effects of succumbing to the Moritori process. His hand, you know, goes up in flames. You know, he's he thinks he's going to he's he's a lot long for this world or even less long for this world than he actually is. Yep. It, that's and on top of all that, we actually get like this wicked battle scene. So this is just such a, a multi-layered sort of experience this issue and uh oh just this is just such a great series such a great series absolutely really 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 strong issue and you know i can't recommend the first uh these first three issues i mean if you're going to read anything take take your time and find dig out these issues if you don't already have them they're not really extremely hard to find anyway uh you know some later issues maybe but uh search these things out and they're available on all uh all kinds of means even oh, than yeah. even the, the nefarious unlimited. so i'm just letting you know <laughs> <laughs> no we have learned a lot about our team but uh we also have other things we learned in these comics uh we have some bullpen bulletins Oh boy. Where we get some gems from uh, the chief himself, Jim Shooter. Indeed. He says, about 10 years ago, a lawyer friend of mine told me that I could sue DC Comics for a million dollars or more. Now, you might be wondering, what in the hell is Jim talking about? But you see, <laughs> I bet you he's kicking himself in the ass right now. I think you're right. You know, he started writing and creating characters for DC when he was like, 12 or 13 years old so he was i think he did i think one of his first books that he was actually writing for was the legion yes. if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah and he uh, he created a bunch of legion characters he created parasite the superman villain he he has a he's got quite the resume even before he turned 18 yep. but uh since he was a minor well technically any legal documents that he signed were uh, more or less meaningless Ooh. And so he should be able to claim his creations or at the very least sue for the damages of or, or royalties of those creations. But Jim Shooter, good guy that we know him to be, declined <laughs> to do so. He figured that uh, he he was just, you know, he was just another boot on the ground. He just like the other creators in comics, he had the same arrangement as everyone else. 
And he does say that he didn't just agree to create for DC. He enthusiastically agreed to create for DC. So it would be, wouldn't be the coolest thing in the world to go back on that and try to sue for damages. So I, I will give Shooter credit. When you consider his creations, things that he had his handprint on in creating, uh, man, he's got a massive, massive list, almost Kirby-esque in, in creation when you think about it, man. Sure, sure, absolutely. And, you know, these, these characters don't just stay on the comic page. They're uh, they're adapted for television, for movies, and they, they weren't back in 1987. But <laughs> <laughs> nope. But uh, I don't know if he'd be so enthusiastic today. But we like to think that he would because he's a stand-up fellow. Uh, And also, he mentions that a reporter in Phoenix once asked him if Marvel Comics provide good role models for children. And this guy, he's 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 a man after our own hearts. He said uh, providing good role models isn't their goal because that's best left for parents and educators. We're just (laughs) comics. So, uh, yeah, we just like Marvel says, just reboot your kids every five minutes. They'll behave. (laughs) They'll they'll be just fine and they'll they'll sell better. (laughs) Uh, That's exactly right. Just start over from scratch every time (laughs) your child misbehaves. (laughs) Create create an issue in uh, child number one all over again. Mm -hmm. And every year, spit out an annual and you'd be good. But uh, (laughs) we also have some notables and quotables from the great and mighty Marvel checklist. Now, just like last time, we're not going to read every single solicit here, but uh, we will start with Strike Force Moritori number three. All they say is their first mission against the Horde, which they're not lying. Boy, That's they were, good. I mean, that what an explanation. And it makes you want to run out and buy it. Uh, <laughs> a limited series called Comet Man started. <laughs> garbage, 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 garbage. The uh, cover looks like it's drawn by a five-year-old. Just check it out. look awful? Oh, fire trash. Now they give us Dr. Stephen Becky, Beckley discovers the secret of Haley's Comet. Do you remember how huge Haley's Comet was back then? It was everywhere. People Holy were obsessed smokes. with that thing. You'd you'd think there was never anything else in space. (laughs) Oh, Haley's comet was huge. But uh, but poor Stephen Beckley here. uh, The secret of Haley's comet actually destroys him. Uh, And this incredible space adventure could have only been created by someone who's been there. So this was created by Bill Mummy, who is from Lost in Space. And he's also the send him to the cornfield kid from the Twilight Zone. (laughs) And uh, Miguel Ferrer, who played oh. Albert in one of my favorite shows, Twin Peaks. Yes, sir. And he was also the bad guy in that awful Justice League TV pilot for the late 90s. Check that out. Go YouTube that, folks. Your Daily eyes, motion. Daily your, motion. Your eyes will <laughs> stab themselves out of your own head and leave your body. Oh, it was bad. But I, I remember uh, like Peter David did a lot with Billy Mummy back in the day. And uh, it's interesting to see just two... Two actors, basically, uh, with a creation here, this Comet Man. Oh, uh, man. Just, do you have Comet Man? Do you have an issue with that? I do. I do. What, <laughs> what do you think? I think I have that? the whole thing. I, I, oh, it's not good. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's not great. And it's ugly. Man. It's ugly. And, uh, well, the art comes to us, which is weird. It comes to us from Kelly Jones and Jerry Talawak. I mean, Kelly Jones, I know he's probably a divisive artist because he does have a very stylized, you know, gimmick. Oh, you can but... say that again. So picture this, picture this. <laughs> if if Todd McFarlane and Frank Miller had a baby, it would be Kelly Jones. <laughs> 
he draws these massive, massive, elaborate capes, but he also loves to have that black and white imagery. Oh, like very dark. Yeah. This, the Sin City almost-esque. If you've seen a lot of Kelly Jones' uh, black and white stuff, it is very, very Frank Miller-inspired. But his uh-huh. Batman... Like with the giant, it's it's probably one of the most stylized Batmans you're ever going to see. Oh, with the giant ears, yeah. With the giant ears and the flowing McFarlane cape. I mean, he's he's got like a ton of influences, man. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I do I like his style myself. I I like to look at it. Do I think it belonged in my Batman book at the time? No, I hated it at the time. So it, that's exactly how I feel. I think I think his art is great to look at, but hard to read. Yeah, it's, I just don't uh, want it on my page. It feels uncomfortable. <laughs> this is, it's and, not... it, and it doesn't necessarily tell the best story. No. Uh, but looking at it as a piece of art, it's nice. But uh, otherwise, tech, like technically and practically, it's it's a little difficult for me. I, I grew up on Jim Aparo as my Batman. Yes, uh, neat okay. and clean. Yep. Neat, clean, nice jaw lines, ni- everything nice and square. The women nice and square as well. Everybody <laughs> looking very, very Aparo-ish, and I loved it. Everybody looked the same. I mean, every every you know every single male character sort of looked like Bruce Wayne with different yeah, hair yeah. or a mustache or something. You know what I mean? But I loved it. And then you see Kelly Jones. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, who's this hack? <laughs> <laughs> he can't draw like Jim Aparo. What's wrong with this guy? He certainly doesn't draw like Jim Aparo. <laughs> oh, definitely not. <laughs> Another book we had on the shelves this month: GI Joe and Transformers number two. Back in the heyday when both of those books were molten hot, brother. Uh huh. Well, uh, I could never get into Transformers. I I, uh, I love GI Joe, but Transformers—it's like it's a robot. If it dies, you build another robot. The first 25 issues of Marvel Transformers, I think, similar to GI Joe, the first 50 issues of Hammer GI Joe from Marvel. Yeah are some of the best stuff you'll ever read for a licensed product. I mean, it, it literally world builds for for the for the toy company. And the first 25 issues of Transformers does the same thing as well. And both of them go off the rails eventually. But uh, sure. when, when G.I. Joe and Transformers came out, this miniseries, which is junk, by the way, uh, <laughs> it, it is literally junk. But um, it's just one of those things where you shouldn't cross the streams, in my opinion. You know, both yeah. of them are great franchises on their own, but when you mingle the two, I don't know. It, it doesn't work for me, and I know a lot of people love G.I. Joe Transformers crossovers and, sure. you know, that IDW crap, which I don't want to talk about. <laughs> Another book we had was Fantastic Four versus the X-Men number one, which I remember enjoying a great deal. It's been forever since I've read it. I still remember the cover. I think it's the, the, the Fantastic Four lying down on the ground, and you got, like, a Doctor Doom with, like, his face plaint off, and it's Reed Richards, I think. I think so. Yes, 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 oh, absolutely. Yes, yeah. Yes. With uh, John Bogdanov art. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, he, 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 uh, the first time I saw John Bogdanov art was in uh, uh, Man of Steel number 18, the first part of the Doomsday storyline, because that's the first Superman comic I ever bought. And um, I remember that his art style just stuck out compared to the other artists. Uh, I think it was like Butch Geis was in there. Uh, yes. Dan Jurgens had something in it. And then it you, was Bogdan. You had the death of Superman storyline going on. The hottest thing 
on comic book shelves at the time. Mm-hmm. You had Jurgens doing like, I mean, Jurgens artwork is clean, tidy, Killing. beautiful, mm-hmm. just everything you'd want in a DC comic. And then you had John Bogdanov, who cannot draw a nose to save his life. <laughs> it looks like if his Superman looks like if you hit Superman in the face with a metal frying pan or an iron <laughs> frying pan and flatten his nose, that's Superman. That's what that's what Bogdanov does. Superman was chasing parked cars, yeah. But, uh, but I've grown to actually really like it. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's nostalgia. Or I don't know. Yeah, I have but, a nostalgia uh, for it too. When I see it, I don't mind it now. But back in the day, I hated that. It was just so jarring compared to the it other uh, the other artists. Yeah. Uh, we have X Factor 13, and if if you thought that the uh, the Strike Force Moritori blurb didn't sell you on the book, just wait till you get to this one here. X Factor 13, Cyclops battles a Sentinel. Whew. That's a that, lot of that's, that, that that just that just makes you want to run out and buy several copies. Wallpaper what's, what's, the room. What's the story about Chris? <laughs> well, you know, Cyclops battles a Sentinel. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, another another really really good one here. Hug a bunch number three from Star Comics. In hey. Hug a bunch number three, the Huglets appear disappear. The Huglets Ooh. disappear. I don't want nobody trashing on my Star Comics, okay? <laughs> if, if you're going to start that and you're going to tweet me, you are blocked. <laughs> there you go. Blocked! <laughs> and uh, the new universe, they ship their fourth and fifth issues this month, uh, depending on how old they are. They're about halfway through their uh, for their lifespan already. <laughs> to their readability, yes. <laughs> we also have ourselves some ads. Ooh. You want to cover the ads here? Yes. So laser tag. Now, we covered la- we covered laser <laughs> tag last time as well. But uh, what I what I was remiss in talking about, I was a huge huge Saturday morning cartoon guy, and I loved Laser Tag Academy for the few issue for the few episodes that they did have. <laughs> I don't know if it was NBC or ABC who had it. But uh, it was a very short-lived on in my area anyway, but I caught every episode. I just loved, you know, the, actually the ad itself is one of those ones that I've seen a billion times over. It's like two kids at the base of this large laser tag player statue. And, okay. you know, they're, they're oogling over the fact that this guy was never tagged. I guess that was their, that was their uh, catchphrase at the time if you got hit getting tagged okay laser tag of course yeah yeah of course and you know the the catchphrase is uh will they idolize you in 3010 meaning if you're such a beloved laser tag character will you too have a statue i don't know i don't know (laughs) then you get to uh remove academy here Uh, it ran for 13 episodes from september 13th to december 6th 1986 so yes very short-lived now I guarantee you that every every one of those thirteen episodes did not air in my uh, my area neck of the woods for sure. I think I think I got about six episodes in and they canned that baby for something more local. I think. How about then had a uh, Don LaFontaine did the opening narration for, uh, for the program. <laughs> uh, I tried watching it on YouTube quite recently, with just before mm-hmm. it got pulled down, and you know it, it's up and down like a yo-yo that show. Oh, so yeah. you never you never know. You you can find it if you look hard enough. But uh, that that doesn't age well, brother. And it's a Ruby Spears cartoon too, so the animation is uh, <laughs> a little wanting. Five year oldish. <laughs> now we also had we move on to good old Captain. Now I'm a serial lover too, by mm-hmm. God. And Captain Crunch was definitely one of the ones that I saw. And of course, this is one of the ones that carried over from last time. And so it's Spider Man versus the Sog Monster. And I don't know about you, but I am a serial junkie. 
Mm-hmm. I love my cereal back in the day. Did you? Were you a cereal eater? Oh yeah, I, I actually uh, that's part of my diet when I when I started to lose weight. I had Cheerios diet, but uh, Cap, I was gonna say Captain Crunch part of a diet. I don't think so, <laughs> man. No, no, no. That 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 only uh. That'll only cost you the skin on the roof of your mouth. So, that's, uh, <laughs> so I do that's... have a complaint about Captain Crunch, okay? Mm-hmm. So being a uh, an 80 cereal kid, uh, I grew up on all kinds of my favorite cereals. I mean, we had like Mr. T cereal. Oh, yeah. Um, we had Pac-Man, which, I mean, we had Pac-Man for years at our house. I used to love that <laughs> and the little marshmallows with it. We had C-3PO. So C-3PO, that thing always looked so good, Chris. The ads, <laughs> they had TV promotions and all yep. that stuff. I remember going to the store and, you know, my dad was throwing the regular stuff, Captain Crunch in the cart and uh, alphabets and just, just different stuff. And I saw C-3PO's and I literally almost died, went to heaven. I'm like, no, dad, we've <laughs> got to get C-3PO's. And on the back, you had a cutout mask of like Luke Skywalker. I mean, oh, I had nice. to have that. I got home, and I mean, it was late in the night at this point. I didn't care. I was having a bowl of cereal. I wanted to try these things. They were going to be amazing. Chris, one of the biggest cereal disappointments of my (laughs) entire life. It was similar to – are you familiar with alphabets? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's similar to like an alphabet-style crunch with like a sickly, strawberry-ish, weird, crappy taste. I ate one bowl and I discovered I don't like these. But you know what? I pounded down two more bowls because I was having my C-3PO's, okay? <laughs> and you needed to get, you needed to empty the box. You cut that mask off the back. Of Daddy it. loved them, and I had to get the other three masks, okay? <laughs> so I was eating that whether I was throwing that crap in the garbage. Dad would never see it. <laughs> my my, oh. I think my biggest disappointment. I'm. You know, I, I've, I've talked about it on the air before. I'm a, a big cookie fiend. I love cookies. It's, it's you know, Christanite. Uh, if, I, if I'm around cookies, <laughs> I'm, I'm shaking. And uh, they've got cookie crisp. Oh, I love cookie crisp. Yeah, they, I've only had it a couple times. They look like cookies, like but they don't taste like cookies. They, they just taste yeah. like they just taste like sugar. It doesn't taste like a cookie in the slightest. <laughs> and uh, that's a... That's a big disappointment because I'll always get like a hankering for them. It's like, oh, you know, those things taste like cookies. And it's like, well, no, they don't. They really, really don't. And, uh... That's funny. And one more thing about cereal. So mm. I know I brought up Smarties last time during their, our whole U.S. versus Canada situation. Certainly. Certainly. You, you guys don't have a clue what corn pops are, bro. You got to come over the border, Chris, and I'm going to pour <laughs> you up a bowl of Canadian corn pops, okay? You guys got this weird misshapen... I don't even know what to call it. I mean, I've had it several times. Like, what are your corn pops? Explain them to me. I I don't understand. As a Canadian, I don't get it. What is in that damn box? It's not corn pops. It's just little puffs of something, right? Yeah. In Canada, (laughs) they're balls. They're actual balls. Really? Yes. And they're delicious. Unlike your U.S. version. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm upset over that. So there you go. So you guys can fight me on it. I can't wait to hear the comments. <laughs> and one thing about the way I eat cereal, I only eat it dry. The idea of putting milk into cereal makes me want to throw up. Whoa. Well, yeah. you would not you would not like the way we used to, our traditional way we used to eat it here in Newfoundland, Canada. Guess how <laughs> we used to eat our cereal? We used to, we used to drink cans of evaporated milk warmed up and put over cereal okay how's that for you 
That's so odd. we have so we have something in in Canada called Carnation Milk, and it's sure, basically sure. canned milk. Okay. Oh yeah. And it's and it's mega popular here. People still still love that stuff. I don't know. I don't understand it. Is it but, sweetened? Uh, uh yeah. Sometimes you can get it in okay. all varieties: sweetened, non-sweetened, low fat. Thick? No, no, it's not oh, okay, like a, okay. it's not like a thinking... cream. It's it's an actual oh, okay. liquidy milk. Okay. Uh, it 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 is terrible, <laughs> but it's a local Newfoundland tradition, and that's so that's the way that uh, we were raised on warm carnation milk. Wow. Judge Ooh. me if you want. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we move on to East Coast Comics. So we've got an East Coast Comics ad, and I don't know about you, but I used to peruse these ads all day and all night long, just looking like a at notepad next to me. Yep. Yes, oh, yeah. I got to have these issues and just seeing other. You know, other titles that you'd not normally see. I mean, there's tons of, like, indie comics that you'd never see. Oh, yeah. This particular ad had a couple call-outs. The new DNA agents, imagine. Hey. Not DNA agents. The new. The new. Always. You, you know it's a disaster when you put new in front of anything. <laughs> you got Steel Grip, <laughs> Steel Grip Starkey. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, that was just, an epic book, wasn't it? Yeah. Just imagine oh. you're in a boardroom and that's the final one you land on. What do you think of Steel Grip Starkey? Approved. Oh, and it was it was just like some dude with like a like a hard hat and like a tool belt or something. <laughs> didn't he have a stash? Didn't he have the? <laughs> he might have. Did he have an eight seventies porn stash, or am I making that up? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I can't remember, but I think he had like a tool belt and like a hard hat or something. Or unless I'm picturing yes, the wrong dude. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yes, he was a tool, <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, then you had the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle ripoff, which I was always a fan of, uh, of all these ripoffs. Uh, adolescent radioactive black belt hamsters. You, <laughs> you can't make that stuff up, folks. No, and the, was it the, the was it the preteen uh, kung fu kangaroos? <laughs> <laughs> I love the play on words. Beautiful. Uh, you also had uh, DC's version of Robotech. Oh, oh, Chris, 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 Chris. <laughs> I was a huge Robotech fan, and when okay. I saw that DC was putting out a Robotech comic book. I was like, hey, great. You know, we got the, you know, the books from Comico. I mean, sure. Robotech, Comico had the franchise uh, in their books. They had, you know, the Macross saga, the new generation, you know, um, all that stuff. And DC came up with one called Robotech Defenders based on the Robotech model series, which featured exactly none of the characters from the commercial or from the cartoon. Oh, wow. None. Zero. That's weird. A couple of the robots were were similar, but it had literally nothing to do with it. Now this started as a uh, as a miniseries, if I don't if I forget, I think it was a three issue miniseries. Okay. But but it was the drizzling uh, crapo, <laughs> so it ended up being cut down to two. So they they wow. literally they released the double even... side. No, they they got rid of that thing off the shelves fast. Looked at, <laughs> you know what? I would urge all our listeners to find that that thing and just burn it. Just, just do everybody a favor. Now, comic book, off this planet. Yep. Comic book ads were there as well. You had uh, this one was advertised. You know, the one where they advertise gadgets. I mean, I always oh, loved gimmicks. Them. Yeah. Yes. Loved them. Loved those things. You know, I was always a fan of like the X-ray glasses. You know, could I see through someone's clothes? Can I do it? Nope. You couldn't. <laughs> by the way, spoilers. You know, Charles Atlas dynamic tension ads. Always mm-hmm. loved it. The whoopee cushions. This one had one, which is really weird, for microbugs. It was bugging technologies for telephones and concrete. Concrete. Oh. What? Yes. <laughs> why are Why are you telling kids to bug concrete? I don't know. 
That mm-hmm. is weird. Interesting. We will go move on to like a Marvel <laughs> subscription ad for 1987. You know, I actually subscribed only once in my life, but I ordered two books. I don't know. Have you ever just subscribed to Marvel or any never. of their? I've, I've never subscribed to a comic book. It's I always love their ads, yeah. though. Oh, especially yeah. The, especially the Christmas one. There's the one Christmas I remember. Time's great. Yeah, yeah, I remember the one with Hulk, and he's got like his robe on, and he's sitting or like he's around the fireplace stretched mm-hmm. out and, you know, order the books. I was always, a you know. I always wanted to order. So anyway, uh, when Marvel Comics Presents came out and Wolverine launched into a solo series, mm-hmm. I said, okay, I'm breaking down. I'm going to order. You know, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to order these two books. I want to have these delivered to my house every week. I, I don't want to miss an issue, okay? Sure. I don't want to rely on my local pharmacy screwing up and missing issue three or something like that. So I ordered those two, and boy – I don't know if anyone's ordered Marvel subscriptions before, but um, you do get them. So they come. They come on time. They're they're there in a timely manner. They come in a little slip cover of like a paper bag, and it has a label over it. Oh wow, Chris! Chris, they're like a discarded sock under your your seat by the time. <laughs> now they're they're going all the way to Canada, of course. So I'm sure you know the. Uh, the Canadian mail service is dismantling, uh, dismantling the comic, <laughs> using it for toilet paper and everything before <laughs> it reaches me. But man, I, I never had an issue come to me that was in mint condition. There was always a oh, large wow. crease. Some were even folded over. So you know how Especially you fold over a newspaper and tuck it under your arm? Yep. Wolverine number four, brother, came oh, folded with a giant boy. crease right down the middle. Oh, that stinks. Yep, I know. But anyway. Mm. Moving on. So one of the other ads here, and this is the last one we'll wrap up on, is the uh, 50 classic comics. I don't know if you've ever had any of these. Oh, these are all the uh, like yeah, these are all the like the literal classics. The uh, yeah, the literal classics. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, I've never had any. Of these. So I don't know if people are familiar with Little Big Books. You remember those? Oh yeah. Yeah. So they're they're like you know they're they're like a little mini novel. They're they're really they're very thick. And basically they have like a page, one one page of artwork, and then it's like it's like a written book. So, you know, you're reading it like it's like a picture book with, with words. So this one was a classics edition. And I had a similar set to this, but I didn't have 50. I think it had maybe 12 or 15. Mine had like mm-hmm. War of the Worlds, The Prince and the Popper, Ivanhoe, okay. and my favorite Sherlock Holmes. But they mm. were kind of cool, man. It was, it, it was the, the only way that I was getting uh, introduced to the classics because there's no way I was reading that crap. As <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at their list here, it's like, is a kid going to really be like knocking themselves out to read Hound of the Baskervilles? You know, that was actually one of the better ones, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> yes. By the time you got through that list, brother, you were, you were dying for Hound of the Baskervilles. Oh, and Turn of the Screw? Ugh. Oh, boy. Not so fun, brother. Not so no, fun. No, no, no. And of course, the uh, the the comic ends with uh, Gumby and Pokey on on the same adventure we've looked at three or four times already. But uh, <laughs> that's gonna do it for uh, episode three. So uh, if you'd like to reach out to us, uh, I think we have something special coming or a special announcement coming next week. But uh, we do we won't. indeed. I can't wait to announce it. So it's gonna involve a little things. For uh, if you're a listener for this show, we're gonna sort of reward you for listening. So, mm. but I don't know if it's gonna be all the way an award. There might be some <laughs> strings attached to this one. So uh, just th- just think about this. If uh, maybe you too could become a part of the moratory process, we're just saying. 
<laughs> more next week folks more next week but if you'd like to get in touch with us about anything we've talked about today if you've uh stayed in a hotel where they uh they didn't have those three special channels or uh <laughs> or if you, you remember didn't steal the robe or the light bulbs yes yes or the slippers uh or if you wanted to free uh captain crunch from the sog master or uh <laughs> or if they, if you think they'll be idolizing you in the year 3010, just uh, send us an email at uh, weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can check out the show's site at chrisandreggie.com. You can check out my site at chrisoninfiniteearths.com. And uh, how about you uh, let them know where they can find you? You can find me on the Twitter machine at Charlton underscore hero. You can also check me out on my own blog. It's called the Superhero Satellite. Just give it a Google. It'll come up there. Uh, as well, you can check out my uh, other shows. I do a wrestling show over on the Radlich and Broadcasting Network called TV Party Tonight, where we cover some wrestling events and all kinds of other stuff. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's Chris Bailey. Hook me up. Send us some comments. Uh, we, we love getting the mail. Uh, We love getting tweets and all that stuff, and we try to respond to every single one of them. So thanks for listening, gang, and I'll see you next Monday. And you can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. I want to thank you so, so much for hanging out with us this week, and uh, we'll see you again next time. See See ya. ya!